Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. We're in a series called Disciple. This is our third week, I believe, in this series. Maybe it's our fourth. I don't remember. I lose track. But it, it, what, we're, what we're studying and what we're trying to discover is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If you consider yourself to be a Christian, then you really should consider yourself that you are a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes we get this idea that there's only 12 disciples. No, no, no. In Scripture, these, these 12 disciples, these people that were closest to Jesus, they were really assigned to be apostles of Jesus. But a disciple is someone who has made a choice to follow Jesus. So if you are a Christian, if you say you're following Jesus, then you are a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is someone who has chosen to believe and follow a person's teachings. As a disciple or a follower of Jesus, you have chosen to exclusively follow Jesus. There's not another option. If you read God's word, you cannot elevate anything above Jesus. You have to make a decision that Jesus alone is the person I'm choosing to follow. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is the one who you model your life after. You know, I don't know, what is it, a decade ago, maybe longer, there was this statement, WWJD. Do you remember that? What was that? What would it mean, WWJD? What would Jesus do? That really is what a, a mentality of a disciple is. I wonder in this situation what Jesus would do. Lord, what would you do if you found yourself... Share with me how I should walk through these circumstances, how I should walk through this pattern of life. That is what a disciple of Jesus is. In this series, we're searching out the truths that Jesus taught his disciples to follow. Truths that will transform the way we think and the way we act. Choosing to be a disciple of Jesus requires commitment. Jesus never promised that, guess what? If you choose to follow me, it's going to be easy. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to be able to lay at the beach and get your suntan on and all that. No, Jesus actually says, you know what? If you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. I'm not saying that we can't find a joy-filled life in following Jesus. In fact, that's a promise in God's word. If you follow me, you know what? I'm going to give you an abundance of joy. And what's so cool about being a follower of Christ is that you can find joy even in the midst of difficulties. You can find joy even in the midst of cancer. You can find joy even in the midst of a loss of a job. You can find joy even when a relationship is broken because Jesus is your joy, not the circumstances of this life. And Jesus will help you walk through those circumstances so that, guess what, not only is your joy restored, but those that are around you will find joy through your life because you are a light. You are a light. Today I want to look at a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's found in, the, in John chapter 4, and it's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And if you've been in this church for any length of time, you've heard me share on this, this story before. But I'm going to share it in maybe just a little different way today, because I want, the gospel, I want, this, want this story to come alive to you. This story is filled with God's wonderful love and with God's wonderful grace. Jesus met this woman 
in Samaria at Jacob's well. He really deterred his route so that he could actually just come and have an encounter with this woman. He came to bring the good news that he is the Messiah who came to save his people from their sins. Jesus brought this news to a woman who had been rejected by her own people because of her sin. A woman who had stopped believing that, do I even have any significant value? She stopped even being a part of the public uh, uh, areas. She stopped going to the well at the normal time because she just didn't want to be seen by other people. This is a story that declares that no one, and I want you to catch this, that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. A lot of people would have thought this Samaritan woman would have been beyond the reach of Jesus. But I'm here to declare to you today that no one is beyond his reach. Not your child, not your spouse, not your sibling, not your parent, not your grandparent. No one is out of the reach of Jesus. Jesus can touch any life. Do we believe that here today? Anyone. Even the enemy that you are called to love is not beyond the reach of Jesus. Everyone has the opportunity to find Jesus. Sometime today I encourage you to read the entire story of the Samaritan woman at the well found in the Gospel of John chapter 4. I'm not going to read the entire story today because I want to focus on two specific verses that for you and for me, verses 23 of 24 of John chapter 4. And follow along as I read these verses. Um, it's probably the most important truth that Jesus taught his disciples. Having a heart of worship. But the hour is coming, Jesus' words. The words that he is sharing with his Samaritan woman. The hour is coming and it is here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I just feel real quick as I'm praying, if, if you want to receive God's word in your heart today, if you want something more today, just raise your hand as I pray. Lord, we've read your word today, and I pray in the name of Jesus that your words will become more than just words on a page, that, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the words will take Upon us, Lord God, a, um, a revelation, an anointing, an understanding deeper than maybe we've ever seen before. Because, Lord God, we're called to be your disciples. So, Lord God, speak to each and every person here today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The first thought I want to share with you today, and the first idea that you really not only need to write down but it's a truth that you need to understand and that you need to embrace for your life if you ever want to have a deep relationship with Jesus. And that, ver that, that truth is found in verse 23, that God is seeking true worshipers. It's, a vi it's vital that we understand that God created us for the purpose of worship. It is who God designed us to be. It's our ultimate purpose in life is to worship the Almighty. 
That is who we've been created to be, is to worship God. This doesn't mean that God hasn't given us other talents and ever the giftings that God declares upon our life. It doesn't mean that we don't do other things. But the number one purpose why we've been created is to worship God. Some of you have been gifted in, in law or in finances or maybe you have a nursing degree or, or maybe you're good at human relations or maybe you're good at serving people or hospitality. Whatever it might be, you have these other talents that God has given you. Maybe you're an auto mechanic. Guess what? That's one thing, but your first calling is that you're a worshiper of God. It's great that God has given you this talent that you can use for his glory, I mean, just like Andy is really IT, and, and just, but guess what? Andy has taken the talent that God has given him, and he says, you know what? I'm going to go to Papua New Guinea, and I'm going to make a difference for, the, for Christ. And he's using that talent. And, but see, the thing is, first and foremost, he's a worshiper of God. Secondary, guess what? I'm going to use this talent to worship God. You know, you can worship God if you're an auto mechanic, if you're a nurse, if you're whatever you might be. You can do the, the, the very best that you're, whatever God's called you to be, you can do the very best of that and continue to spread God's word. God is very creative. He has created every one of us with unique and different talents. But that one common denominator for each and every one of us is that we've been created to worship God. Twelve apostles came from a variety of backgrounds. They had different talents and God used each and every one of them to spread his gospel. Because they were designed to worship and serve God. The sooner you understand that truth, that, you, that God is seeking true worshipers, the sooner you understand that truth, the quicker you're going to have a deeper and more meaningful relationship with your Savior. It's interesting, if you look up the Greek word seek, in the Bible, it is always a reference to us seeking God or to us seeking something from God. So you look up the word seek and you read all the different passages. It's either us seeking God and God telling us how to seek Him or, or we're seeking something from God but there is one, one time that I can see in Scripture, and I'm wrong, someone point that out to me. There's only one time where we see that God is seeking us. And guess what that one time is? He is seeking people who will truly worship him. That's the one time where it's used in the opposite direction, that God is seeking worshipers. I hope that statement alone brings a greater clarity to the importance that God places on worship. Your worship is the number one priority to God. And it should be, if it's God's number one priority, then it should be, what, our number one priority. How do we define what worship is? A famous pastor or theologian back in the day, author A.W. Pink, defines worship as, and I like his statement, a redeemed heart, occupied with God, expressing itself in adoration and thanksgiving. A redeemed heart, and I love this next statement, occupied with God. God occupies my life. God occupies your life. When you get up in the morning, you think, Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, what opportunity are you going to give me today? That's what it means to worship God. It's putting God as priority in your life. It's surrendering our ideas, our thoughts, and everything 
to God. Jesus states it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Worship is placing God first. Our identity is not found in our career. Our identity is first found, is not first found in our family as a, being a parent or a spouse or a sibling or a grandparent. Our identity is not even found, first found in our thoughts or ideas. We might have great thoughts. We might have wonderful ideas. You might be an entrepreneur or a business person. You have great ideas. But our identity should never first be found in those things. Our identity, number one, must be found in Jesus. When we recognize that our identity is first found in Christ, and I want you to catch this thought, when you recognize that your identity is first found in Christ, then all of the lesser identities in your life, because you do have other things in your life, all those lesser identities, oh, guess what? All of, a time, all of a sudden take a greater importance and a greater significance in your life. I know many people that go to work and they're just, man, they're just dragging to work on Monday. Oh, it's Monday. I got to get to work. I hate this. Why do I have to do this? Why, when is this going to stop, Lord? And they complain all the way to work or complain all the way to school. But what would happen if God would transform our thinking because of worship and all of a sudden, instead of going to work, dragging my feet and my head down, you're a sad case for what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ if you're doing that. What would happen if we all of a sudden found our identity number one in Jesus Christ and we have the opportunity to go to work, which many people would love just having a job in around the world. We have the opportunity. And you know what? God has given me that opportunity. And I don't know how it's going to happen. But somehow today, God's going to give me an opportunity, guess what, to be a light in darkness. What would happen? How would that? See, all of a sudden, that role, that identity that we might not like, all of a sudden takes on a greater identity because now we're applying it that our first identity is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is giving me an opportunity to serve, and I'm going to serve him well and share the light with others. As a disciple of Jesus, the kingdom of God should be our number one priority in our life. One of the six environments, and if you don't know, if you haven't been in our church very long, our vision statement is creating environments to see what God can do through you. That's our heart. Let's create an environment here at South Coast Christian that, guess what, gives an opportunity for God to flow through our lives. And that environment that we want to do to create, we don't want it just to stay here. We want it to go into your homes. We want it to go into your workplace. We want it to go everywhere that you go. We want it in your car, on the basketball court, on the golf course. Some of you guys need Jesus on the golf course. Wherever it might be, we want to create an environment where God is honored. Amen? That's what we want to do. So one of the six environments that we list as a priority of our church is generous worship. Generous worship. You'll find it on our webpage. Expressing our affection for God in everything that we do. Expressing our affection for God in everything that we do. Creating this environment in our life will change everything in our life. Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And these things will be added to you. As a disciple of Jesus, God is our number one priority. Can you imagine being a business owner, hiring an employee whose number one concern wasn't your business? 
Can you, be a, can you imagine being a manager at In-N-Out? In Do I hear a shout for In-N-Out out there? Okay, thank you. I thought I was going to. I didn't know I was going to have to ask for it. I thought it would just be automatic, Sarah. I just thought, wow. Can you imagine being a manager at In-N-Out, and then all of a sudden you hire this employee, and this employee is working for you, but when the people and the patrons come in, and they're, they're coming in to, to dine there, and all of a sudden the, 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 this, this employee is saying, you know what, you should really go over to Burger King. They, they have better hamburgers and fries. Or maybe you should try McDonald's. Or, or they, they share these other places, these other inferior places to, compared to In-N-Out, these other places that don't even match what In-N-Out can do, and they start sharing, you should dine over there. How long do you think that employee is going to continue in receiving a paycheck from in and out Not very long. Why? Because, guess what? That employee is not about the project. That employee is not about the business that they've been hired for. I've actually walked into stores before. Uh, this has happened to me several times. I, specifically, I remember one time walking into a hardware store, I was looking for something, and I asked the salesperson, hey, do you have this? And they took me to the aisle, and they showed me this thing. And all of a sudden, quietly, they whispered, you know, if you go over to such and such, I know they're having a sale on this right now, and you can get it for half the price. I said, thank you very much, and I went right over to that store, and I bought it for half the price. But who was that employee working for? Who was that employee representing? Can you imagine what God would think? The creator of the heaven and the earth, the one who has given us the breath to breathe, water to drink, vegetation to eat, all the things that he has created. What he must think when all of a sudden we elevate something or someone above him. When all of a sudden we're no longer about who God is, we're about what this is. Can you imagine what he thinks about that? We are his creation. We have to be about who Jesus is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Our worship is important to God, and God is seeking true worshipers. So what is a true worshiper? Those who worship, according to the Scripture, those who worship in the Spirit. What does it mean to worship in the Spirit? Worship is our response to who God is. It's responding to His goodness. It's responding to His love. It's responding to His greatness. When we worship, our spirit must connect to our worship. Our spirit must connect to our worship. Otherwise, it's not worship. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that my spirit must connect with God's spirit for it to truly be worship in our life. It can't be actions with no meaning. Whatever way we worship, if it's through singing, if it's through giving, if it's through reading God's word, our spirit must be engaged. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman, this Samaritan woman, that there's a day that's coming, it is here now, that we're going to worship in spirit and truth. Worship can't just become a ritual, something that you just do with no meaning behind what you are doing. 
It can't be just going through the motions. In Jesus' day, there were many rules, there were many rituals on how you could worship, on how you could read God's word. There was many things that you had to follow. It was very specific. A lot of rules, a lot of regulations. The Pharisees were very strict in following every letter of the law. Every letter of the law. But in doing this, they lost the spirit of the law. They lost a deeper meaning behind why they were doing what they were doing. They would just read the word of God out of obligation, but never let the word of God touch your spirit. It's why I pray as we start reading God's word, as I start sharing God's word, I don't want it to just be words from Pastor Tom. I want it to be a word that all of a sudden the revelation, it might not have anything that I even say, it's just the Spirit of God just touches you all of a sudden and says, this is a word for you. And all of a sudden you start feeling it and you start sensing it and all of a sudden it starts to change you and you all of a sudden have touched the presence of God because the Word of God has come alive to you. The Pharisees, they would memorize much of God's Word, but they would never understand how to apply it to their lives. You know, you can memorize Scripture and man, you know, it's awesome. Last week I was sharing about Knox. I think he's five or six or seven years old. However, how old is Knox? Six years old, and he comes up to me so proud, and he starts just quotes that scripture. But there was something where he quoted it where it just wasn't words. I thought, man, this kid has it in his spirit. And it's going to go deeper into his spirit. See, the Pharisees never got that understanding, it was just words on a page. Jesus summed up the spirit of the law with two commandments. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. In reality, you could read the entire Bible. And honestly, that comes right there. Love, it brings it all back to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as you would love yourself. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus demonstrates the difference between the letter on the law and the spirit. Spirit of the law. He says in verses 21 and 22 of Matthew 5, he says, You have heard it, that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus' words, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. The letter of the law is, Thou shalt not murder. But someone who harbors anger and hate against someone is breaking the spirit of the law. Do you see the difference? It's not just that, oh, I haven't murdered anyone. Oh, I haven't cheated on my wife. But I've been, boy, I've been thinking about it all the time. What kind of relationship would that be? You see, there's the letter of the law. And I'm not saying that none of us struggle, okay? Don't, don't think that... Pastor Tom is perfect, or everybody in this church is perfect. No, no, no. If you're, if you're a guest here today, we all have our struggles. But guess what? Because of God's word and the spirit of God, those struggles are falling off of us. Those sins are falling off of us. And all of a sudden, we're taking steps to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. We're changing our old ways, our old nature, our old man, our old woman, and we're making a decision. I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. When you catch this thought, living by the letter of the law might help you to justify your actions. It's like hiring an attorney. But living by the spirit of the law will bring about transformation in your life 
to be more like Jesus. There's an old hymn that I remember singing as a little boy, maybe as a teenager. I'm kind of (laughs) old. Set my spirit free that I might worship thee. Set my spirit free that I might praise your name. Let all bondage go and let deliverance flow. Set my spirit free to worship thee. You see, when we come to worship Jesus, it can't be just actions or rituals. It has to be that we've been set free by the power of God, that we've allowed all this stuff that maybe we bring to church, you know, we just dump it off. Before you even get to the parking lot, I want you to stop and dump it off. And then when you drive in, man, my spirit has been set free so I might worship Jesus. In our lives, we need out. A fresh outpouring of God's spirit upon our spirit because that's what makes transformation take place in our life. It was the outpouring of God's spirit upon his disciples in the upper room that empowered them to share the gospel all over the world. Even under persecution, even under death, they were willing to share the gospel because something happened when their spirit was touched by the fire of Jesus. It changed them. Second characteristic of a true worshiper is those who worship in the truth. Worship. Jesus is seeking, the Heavenly Father is seeking those true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. We must ground ourselves in God's truth, in God's word. Otherwise, we can find ourselves worshiping things that are not true. You need to know God's word. Don't just believe what Pastor Tom tells you every day. You better back it up with God's word. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I preach from Scripture. Because you know what? Scripture is something that is solid that I can stand on. And I know it doesn't change. That God has, has given it to us for a purpose. It's why Andy is translating Scripture or helping in that process of translating Scripture around the world. Because you know, he knows that God's Word is going to have impact on people's lives. We need to worship God in truth. We need to know what God loves and what God hates. We need to know the attributes and qualities of God so that we can worship in truth. Remember the verse 23, as I shared earlier, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is Jesus' response to the Samaritan woman at the well. He was talking to the Samaritan woman when he shared that. When Jesus asked her for a drink, she was surprised and she was taken back by his comment. The reason he was taking, she was taken back, Jesus comes to the well, he's been hiking here, he's been walking with the disciples, the disciples went to go get some food from town, and so he's there alone, and all of a sudden this Samaritan woman walks up to the well, if you don't know the story, she walks up to the well, I'm going to tell it to you very quickly, so we'll just follow along very quickly. She walks up to the well, and, and, and Jesus says, can you give me a cup of water? And she was so taken back, because Samaritans and Jews, they didn't commingle. In fact, really, it was for a Jewish man to, to talk to a Samaritan woman just, was just unheard of. He says, can you give me a cup of water? And she, 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 she makes a re- response uh, to her or to, to Jesus. He says, um, I've lost my place here. Hang on. Anyhow, you know what? We're going to forget that. We're just going to keep moving along. <laughs> we need to know what God loves and what God hates. We need the attributes. 
And Jesus says in verse 23, the hour is coming and now here that when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And that was a response to the Samaritan woman. When Jesus asked her for a drink, she was surprised and taken back by that comment. Then Jesus responds to her. He says, if you only knew the gift that, has for you, for, that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then she goes on to say, how can, how can you give me this living water? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. You don't have anything to draw this water out. How are you going to give me living water? It's kind of, it was a weird way of that, how she was responding to Jesus. And then she continues, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who built this well? Do you think you are great? See, at that moment, all of a sudden, at this point in the story, we realize that she is absent. And I want you to catch this. She's absent from the truth. She doesn't know who she's talking to. See, how can you worship Jesus in truth if you don't know Jesus? How can you worship Jesus in truth if you don't know who Jesus is? She didn't understand who Jesus was, is. She didn't understand who, Je- who was standing bef- in front of her. And then Jesus begins to show, slowly reveal who he is. Those who drink of this water, I will, I will give, will never be thirsty again, giving them, and I want you to catch this, giving them eternal life. She then asked for this water. She says, I will never have to drink again. Give me this water. I want this water. The problem is she's still thinking from a materialistic viewpoint. She's still thinking of water, H2O, something that is a liquid that we drink in with our physical body. And Jesus wasn't talking about this type of water. Jesus tells her all of a sudden because he starts to reveal more truth to her at this point. When you catch this, Jesus all of a sudden makes a statement to her. He says, go and get your husband. And then she responds, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, oh, you are right. You've had five husbands. And even the man that you are living with right now is not your husband. And all of a sudden she goes, you must be a prophet. You must be someone, you must be a prophet because How do you know this? And it's interesting, there's a phrase that Jesus says after he said, you're not even, you know, the man that you're living with that you're not married to right now. And he he makes the same. So you certainly spoke the truth that you don't have a husband. God is searching for more than just a guarded relationship that is only focused on having a generic or surface level conversation. God is not searching for someone who just wants to shoot the breeze with him. God is searching for someone that is willing to get honest and transparent and truthful with him. Because when you start getting honest and transparent and truthful with Jesus, guess what? All of a sudden, God has the opportunity to start to transform your life. Psalms 145 verse 18 states, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in, say it with me, truth. Our relationship with Jesus must begin on that basis of truth. Honesty with ourselves. It's having a heart-to-heart conversation with God. Knowing Jesus is the truth. Jesus is our Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must worship God in truth. He's our Savior. He's our healer. He's our creator. He's our faithfulness. He's our righteousness. He's our all. You can can come back up to the keyboards if you'd like. There is no other hope 
but Jesus. See, worship is our surrender to God. The reason I asked for the keyboards because now you guys can relax because you know I'm coming to a close. I know there's football later on. Just hold your horses. Because guess what? You're not a fan of football first. Guess what? You're a fan of Jesus first. A little louder, please. You're not a fan of football first. You're a fan of Jesus first. To be a disciple of Jesus, we must worship God in spirit and truth. To let the truth and the power of Jesus to touch our lives. It's a spiritual discipline that you have to develop in your life. And that's one of the things when we say discipled. That's really what it's all about. It's building spiritual disciplines in our lives. And one of those spiritual disciplines that you need to have in your life is worship. You need to worship God. Why? Because i got to make sure. I, I'm going to put you on a quiz because I'm not sure if my message got across today. So let me just quiz you. Why do we need to worship God? Because God is seeking true worshipers. I'm going back to the first of my message just to make sure it plants. God is seeking for true worshipers. He's searching Far and near, he is certain. Where are my true worshipers? It's a spiritual discipline we must develop. As a church, we've tried to create multiple opportunities for worship because that's one of our environments that we believe in, generous worship. So we have worship through music. When you come on a Sunday morning, you know, get here early, please. So... You can get your donuts. Welcome the donuts back. Yeah, come on, somebody. The donuts are back. But get here early so you don't miss out in worship. When you start seeing that countdown, get a seat. Gather in as tight as we can because there's something that we're we're done with this whole, what is that thing that we used to deal with? Uh, Coronavirus? Is that what it's called? COVID. That's what it was. Yeah, something like that. I know it's still there. I get it. But it's not going to stop me from worshiping. There's something impactful when we gather together as a body of believers and we start crying. This morning, we all gathered around right here. All the leadership team, we gathered around. We just started to pray and we started to worship. And something starts to happen in the spirit. See, we need to worship together. We need to have corporate worship. You can't get by by once a month coming to worship. You need to be here. In fact, in the old days, we'd have Sunday night, Sunday morning, Monday night, Tuesday night. When, man, when I grew up, there was nothing but church. I mean, there was no reason to even have a TV or a computer. There was no computer when I was growing up. But get the, they had the black and white TV with the antennas. That was great. But you didn't even need that because there was something at church every single night of the week. Now, man, it's like pulling. It's like going to the dentist to get someone to come to church. As a church, we've created multiple opportunities for worship. Worship through music. Worship through the Word of God. Worship through life groups, through Bible studies, through serving. Worship through giving. Thank you for your giving. We are called to worship God. That's what we're called to do. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word does not return void. That it is powerful and it's effective and it's 
changes life. And the reason your word changes life because it's not just words, it's you. It's you, Jesus. Touching our heart, touching our lives. I thank you that we are a disciple of you. With every head bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. We're closing. But if you're here today and you know that maybe you just haven't been worshiping the Lord in the way that God has called you to do and you know that you've just been kind of slack on it. It's been put on the back burner. It's not your number one priority in your life. There's many other things that are higher than God and you need to take that and elevate Jesus into the proper location. Number one. Numero uno. Number one in your life. If that's you you here today, I want to say a prayer. And I just want... if you feel like raising your hand, you say, yeah, Pastor Tom, that's me, then raise your hand. If, you, if you're shy, you don't want to raise your hand, just raise your heart. But if you feel like that's me, Pastor Tom, I want, to, I want to make a new commitment that worship is going to take a greater place in my life. Raise your hand as I pray, Lord Jesus. Today we recommit, Lord God, to you in a way, kind of like the children of Israel in the Old Testament would get, would get lost and they start serving other things, serving other gods. God, I pray for each and every one of us as we've gone through these 21 days of Daniel fast, Lord God, that we have realigned ourselves that you are numeral, you're number one in our life. That there's nothing that's still going to take your place. And God, that you are the one that we're going to worship. We're recommitting, Lord God, that each and every day we're going to have a time of worship with just you. I pray that over each and every person here today. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never, made a, you've never become a disciple. You've never become a follower of Jesus. You wonder how that, how that takes place. The first thing you've got to understand is you've got to recognize your need. You've got to recognize that you need a Savior. You've got to recognize that you need forgiveness from your sins. And then you've got to recognize who Jesus is in your life. And Jesus is the one, he's, he told the Samaritan woman, he says, I'm the Messiah. And she went rejoicing, telling everybody in the village. If that's you to here today, you want to make that choice to follow Jesus. If you're watching us online or if you're here in person, it's as simple as this. I want everybody to just say this prayer. We do this almost every Sunday because I never want to miss an opportunity for people to come to Jesus. Just say these words with me. Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you. Forgive me my sins. Set me free from my bondage. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit to help me follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.